0: Our scripture readings from Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time together this morning. As we look now to your word, I ask your blessing upon the message. I pray that you would direct it to hearts. Lord, I pray that you would convict us, Lord, to change us. Make us more like Jesus this morning, Lord. Oh, I pray, Lord, as the the eyes of the world are on storms and weather and, and wars and fires and politics, Lord, draw our eyes to that throne in heaven where Jesus sits enthroned all power, all authority, all glory, all majesty, all praise are His. I pray that we would be more like Him for having been here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe may be seated. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. As we move into chapter 3 this morning, like chapter 2, it's filled with a lot of great and powerful truths. The Apostle Paul had a way of packing a lot of truth into small books of the Bible. Philippians is definitely one of those. Our text is just one verse this morning. Chapter 3, verse 1. Let's read it again. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. This theme of rejoicing in the Lord is very common to the Apostle Paul. Not as common to us, is it? How often do we really rejoice in the Lord, church? Come on. If we're honest with ourselves, we look down into the depths of our heart. How how often do you, do I rejoice in the Lord? Now, if you flatter yourself, you say, "Pastor, I do it a lot. Okay, now compare it to how often you complain to the Lord. See, I was preaching yesterday at Wilson Park, and I said that, We all think we're good people because we compare ourselves to other people. But God's going to compare us to his law, right? Not to other people. When we we compare ourselves to the law of God, boy, do we fall short. So we say, well, I rejoice in the Lord more than we complain to the Lord, more than we grumble to the Lord, more than we gripe to the Lord. I admit I'm guilty. I don't rejoice nearly as much as I ought to in the Lord. Paul had this running running theme of rejoicing. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Let's look at a few passages. 1 Thessalonians 5.16. That verse there, very short verse. Rejoice evermore. Now, I want you to understand this. Rejoice evermore was written To who? The Thessalonian church. What does Paul tell the Thessalonians, right? He tells them to rest when Christ rewards fury to those who are troubling them. In other words, he tells the Thessalonians, in his letter to the Thessalonians, God is going to exact vengeance on those who are persecuting you. So they're under persecution. And what does Paul say? Rejoice evermore. Now, they might say, well, it's easy for Paul to say he's not. No, he was in a persecution too. Paul's in jail in Philippians, remember? Facing death, not sure if he'll get the death penalty or not. And what does he tell the Philippian church? Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. Thessalonians, you're undergoing persecution. Rejoice. What do you do, Christian, when you're undergoing persecution? You rejoice. What do you do in hard times? You rejoice. What do you do when when you don't know why? What do you do when you don't have reason to rejoice? You rejoice. That's what you do. You go back to the joy of the Lord as your strength. I, I almost said we saw that last week. I think we see that this week. I'm getting ahead of myself. It's our strength. We draw strength from rejoicing in Christ. Some of the worst days of my life were made better when I just sang some hymns and praised the Lord. I got my mind off of what was troubling me and on to the greatness of God. I found myself soon rejoicing, right? So I'm, I'm going through a hard time, All Right, Going through a hard time. So I forced myself to rejoice by singing hymns. You might know notice about an hour later, I'm walking around my, work, my job at work singing more hymns. You know why? Because my heart's truly rejoicing because I chose to rejoice in the Lord. Not to wallow in my self-pity, not to worry about my circumstance, but to rejoice in the Lord. That's our topic this morning, church. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice when times are good. Rejoice when times are bad. Rejoice when you're anxious. Rejoice when you're troubled. Rejoice when you're sad. You know why? Because there's joy in Christ at all times. Paul, facing death, says rejoice. Paul writes to the Thessalonians who are being persecuted and says rejoice. We have no excuse in 21st century America to not rejoice in the Lord. Our problems are nothing compared to first century Christians. Nothing. We watched a movie last night where they dug up a guy's bones just to burn them, just to dishonor that person. That's that's happening to none of us today. Rejoice in the Lord. Why do we let things get us down? Why do we let things bother us so much when there's so much to rejoice in? We get ourselves hurt or mad or sad or whatever. Why is that the controlling emotion? I'm mad. I'm finding a different church. First of all, if that's your attitude, you're in sin. That's not how you deal with problems in the church. I did a whole sermon on dealing with problems in the church. You're mad? Rejoice in the Lord. Pretty soon you won't be mad. See the reason we don't rejoice? Because we want, we want to be mad. I used to have a roommate. When they get upset, they would go in their room and play like hardcore heavy metal music. You know why they do that? Because they want to be mad. And that music makes you angry. It feeds the anger. Right? I used to tell them, why don't you go in your room and put on some gospel hymns? And they told me, because I want to be angry. You know why we don't rejoice in the Lord? We want to be angry. We want to be sad. I think there's a part of us that likes to wallow in our sadness, our troubles. Well, we live in a victim in age, don't we? Everybody's, everybody's suffering from everything. I got like 10 Facebook friends who are all suffering from 10 different disorders. I was like, come on. They like being a victim. Church, we're not victims. Christ was a victim in our place. We're victorious. Even if things go wrong, I was just talking to Kim about that song we sang. We're like, I think she's like 99% sure of the history of the song. I'm probably 90%. It sounded familiar to me. That when he wrote that song, it was after he had his eye removed from cancer. We're going to verify that and get back to you guys on that next week, but... When she said that, that struck me as sounding pretty accurate. So he gets his eye removed from cancer and writes a song. Rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistakes. He knoweth the end of each path that I take. For when I'm tried and purified, I'll come forth as gold. That's that's not my natural reaction, but it ought to be, right? I'd wallow in self pity. I only have one eye. I'm a monster. He's over here, rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistakes. That's Paul. That's Paul right there. I'm facing death, church. But hey, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. You're going to suffer the same things as me. So rejoice in the Lord. Thessalonians, you're being persecuted. Are they taking your homes, taking your possessions, locking you up in prison? Rejoice always. In prison or at home. In the hospital or at home. In your job or without a job. Hungry or full of food. Paul's going to get that later on in Philippians chapter 3. He's learning whatever state he's in to be content. What he's saying is I've learned no matter what, whether I have food or not, shelter or not, in prison or not, I rejoice in the Lord. That's what Paul's saying. Go to Romans 12, 12. I got carried away in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Romans 12, 12. We're going to see from the scriptures today that hard times, bad times, are the times to rejoice. Romans 12, verse 12: rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continue instant in prayer. You notice how rejoicing in hope comes before patient in tribulation? That rejoicing he's commanding those Christians in Rome was not for good times only. In fact, church, I'll I'll, I'll lay you odds if you interpret that verse correctly. Rejoicing in hope is the reason you're patient in tribulation. You want to do well under testing and trial? Rejoice. That's the key. That's the key to coming through trials of your faith. Rejoice. I remember a story from George Mueller's life. I'm on the mic and he stopped stepping away from the pulpit. George Mueller's life where he he, uh, didn't have any food for the orphans. Didn't have any food. You know what he did? He sat down and gave thanks for the food that God would provide. And God provided. He didn't sulk. He didn't say, well, I guess my little uh, experiment in faith failed. The Lord didn't come through for me. With nothing in visible sight, he just gave thanks. Rejoiced in the Lord. Harry Ironside, when he was a young boy, his father died and his mother was a Woman of great faith, and one time they sat down to meal, and they had no money, with the main breadwinner gone. And she would, she took in some clothes. To, she was a seamstress. She took in clothes to fix them. Had the very little money. And one day they sat down to breakfast, and all they had was some old potatoes. And as a little boy, he didn't understand why his mom sat down with a straight face, bowed her head, closed her eyes, and gave thanks for the potatoes, and said, "Thank you, God." And she was rejoicing in old potatoes. Now during breakfast, she came and knocked at the door, and somebody had some extra bread, and he owed her some money for a dress that he fixed, she fixed for his wife. He wanted to pay her in bread, and they had bread for breakfast. But in the time of trial, when she didn't know the bread was... See, I'm reading the book. I know the bread's coming. She doesn't know that. And she's rejoicing in what she has, not belly aching over what she doesn't have. Go to Philippians 4, 4. He's gonna bring up rejoicing again in the same book. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Rejoice always. In case you missed it, church, again I say, rejoice. Rejoice. This whole book of Philippians has been about persecution. Go back and you think about chapter one. He's in prison. He's facing death. He doesn't know when his time is coming. He doesn't know. He hasn't heard back. He's waiting to hear back about his case. He hears the church of Philippi is under persecution, suffering the same things he's suffering. What's his message to them? Rejoice. Give thanks. Be happy. In all circumstances, we're to be happy. We're to rejoice in Christ. Do you understand that? All circumstances. Go to First Peter chapter one. Paul's not the only one who wants to rejoice in the Lord. First Peter chapter one. The Bible says, "Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be." Ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, That's testings, trials. Is rejoicing only for the good times? It's easy to rejoice in the good times, isn't it? It's easy to rejoice when the baby comes or the promotion comes. It's easy to rejoice. What about the bad times? What about when the baby comes stillborn? What about when the cancer is not healed? What if we're mad at somebody? What if we got anger and bitterness in us? What if we lose the job? What if, what if, what if? Is rejoicing only for the good times? It's especially important in the bad times. Rejoice in the Lord. Look what's being said here in 1 Peter 1 6. They are greatly rejoicing, he says. Great. Now, by the way, not just rejoicing, greatly rejoicing. That's like super rejoicing. You're not just having a get-together. You're having a party. You're loud. You're obvious. You are greatly rejoicing. But what's going on around them? At the same time, they are in heaviness through many testings of their faith. Manifold temptations. These are not separate. He's not saying... Get through your temptations, church. Get through your trials. Get through your testing. And you'll rejoice in the Lord at the end, right? We always say that, don't we? One day we're going to look back on this and we're going we're to laugh. Laugh now. One day we're going to look back and we're going to appreciate this time. Appreciate it now. Peter's not saying one day, church, when this trial is over and you're looking back on it, you're going to rejoice in it. He's saying you're rejoicing now greatly, but you're still under heaviness. You know what I'm saying? They're still under heaviness, and they're greatly rejoicing. The two can coexist. We can rejoice in the Lord and shed tears of sorrow. I'm not saying pretend it's all okay. I'm saying rejoice in the Lord. They were in a great testing of their faith. Great testing. They are in heaviness. And Peter says, but you're greatly rejoicing, even though you're in heaviness. Even though your faith is being tested. Look at verse 7. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious and of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. The trial of their faith, which is happening now in real time, would one day lead to praise, honor, and glory for Jesus. Then Peter says that now, in this time, in real time, not some future time, real time, they rejoice with joy unspeakable. And their joy was unspeakable. I picture a church of people under great persecution, under great heaviness, under great trial of their faith, and yet when they gather and they sing, they're loud. And they're raising their hands. They may even have a tambourine in there. And they're rejoicing. Greatly, and you walk in and you say, "Wow, this church has it easy." No, this church is suffering. People are dying. People are being arrested and imprisoned, and they are they are in heaviness. They are burdened for their loved ones who are locked up in prison and who may die for their faith. I can't tell that by their singing, exactly, because they're not carrying the the, the, the self pity. They're not carrying the the load, the burden. They've given that to Christ, and they're rejoicing. Some are crying, some are still sad, but they're rejoicing in Christ. That's what it means to rejoice in the Lord. Go to Galatians five twenty-two. Galatians 5, but the fruit of the spirit is love joy let's stop there what's that second one joy that's a fruit of the spirit joyless Christians are spiritless Christians and according to Romans chapter 8 verse 9 spiritless Christians are not Christians at all if you have not the spirit of Christ you're none of his Joyless Christians are spiritless Christians. They're not saved. I don't care if they call themselves Christian. If your life is completely devoid of any joy in the Lord, if you're crushed by your circumstances, either you're not saved or you're so far backslidden, you've, you've quenched the spirit in your life. You need to repent. Joy should be as natural to us as an apple growing on an apple tree. You know the tree doesn't struggle to bear apples, right? Apples just grow. It's the natural process of being connected to the tree. If we're connected to the true vine, which is Christ, we're going to bear the fruit of the Spirit. We shouldn't have to force ourselves to joy in the Lord. I remember my first night back to work. After my mom died, I took a week off. We buried her. I think we did, right? Yeah, we buried her. I went back to work. And my first night back, about 2 o'clock in the morning, I've been sulking since about, what time do I to go to work? 11? Since 11, I've been sulking about 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm walking through the parking lot. I have nowhere. I have nowhere, church. I'm like, the comforter has come. The comforter has come. The Holy Ghost. I'm singing about the comfort of the Holy Ghost in my sorrow? Yes. And I cried and I sang and I cried and I sang. It was like the Lord turned something on that I was trying to turn off. Joy in the Lord was natural. It just flowed. I, I wasn't even thinking of the song, I wasn't thinking of singing a song. I started humming and then I started singing. You know why? Because when you have the spirit, it flows naturally. Joy is a fruit of the spirit. So is love, so is peace, all these other things should be natural to the Christian life. If you have to force it, if you have to pretend to be joyful in Christ, you may not be in Christ. We should naturally rejoice. What was Job's initial reaction to all of his sorrow? The Lord gives it's taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be his name. He rejoiced in the Lord. It wasn't until he got his eyes on his circumstances he started moping around and whining a little bit. He started off really well, didn't he? He rejoiced in the Lord. Go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Matthew 5, Verse 11. The Bible says, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice. Be exceeding glad. Not just a little glad. Exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You're being reviled, persecuted. People are speaking against you. What does Jesus say? Rejoice. Give thanks. Be happy. Don't be sad. Be happy. Rejoice in that. When? When you're reviled. When you're persecuted. When people are speaking against you falsely. In other words, in bad times, we're to rejoice. Because rejoicing is not an extracurricular activity for the Christian. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's the natural outgrowth of the work of the Spirit in the life of a believer. Turn to Acts 5.41. This is an amazing passage here, Acts 5.41. The Bible says, And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing. They were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Now, I want you to understand something. They didn't just get yelled at and walk out of the council meeting. They were beaten before they walked out of the council meeting. They beat them and released them. After being beaten, they walk out of the meeting, and what do they do? Thank you, Lord. What a blessing that was. To count us worthy to suffer for you? You know, nowadays we see suffering as a bad thing, right? So if we suffer for Christ, we're woe is us. We're having to suffer for Christ. They're like, thank you. I appreciate that, Lord. You you put a blessing upon us. They're rejoicing in their suffering. You know why they rejoiced? Because they saw it as a good thing, not a bad thing. Church, suffering is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame. Shame for his name. Their prayer wasn't, Lord, give us the blessing of peace. You ever notice that? I do it too, so don't feel bad. I'm not picking on anybody. When we go out to to evangelize, what's the common thing we always pray for? Lord, keep us safe. Put a hedge of protection around us. The apostles, they were like, no, bring it on. If we suffer, that means we're worthy of it. That's a good thing. That's a place of honor that God, they weren't like, oh Lord, please keep us safe from the hands of the enemy. They knew they were safe in God's hands. But they didn't care if they suffered for Christ. They wanted to suffer. I'm not saying run into an angry mob and stir them up and get them to beat you. That's what I'm saying. But we, we've got to change our perspective on persecution. It's not bad. It's good. You ever read Revelation? The martyrs? They have a place of honor. It basically says that he invites them in to share his throne with him. It's a place of honor for the martyrs. And we're over here like, oh, please, Lord, not me. When did stop praying like persecution's a bad thing? Start praying, Lord, your will be. You, man, I, I, I got slapped in the face today. Thank you, Lord, you counted me worthy of that. That would change the whole church. We'd have revival if all Christians saw suffering as a good thing from the hand of God. If we saw persecution as a good thing from the hand of God. Lack of persecution, freedom, that is what has softened up and destroyed the American church. Say, Pastor, I don't like that. I don't care. It's the truth. You want to find good, strong Christians? Go to India, go to China, go to North Korea. Go to Cuba. Go to places where it costs you to be a Christian. Oh, the church must be dying there. No, it's growing by leaps and bounds. And they're real Christians. And rejoicing in the Lord in bad times is what they do. We've grown soft and weak in America. It's been bad for us. These apostles wanted to be shamed for Christ's name. Not everyone got to suffer for Christ. They wanted to be among the ones who were. They saw it as an honored position, suffering well. Listen, as you understand this, suffering well doesn't always mean being beaten by the government. It might, it doesn't always. Sometimes it's chronic illness, poverty, cancer. Loss of a job. Death of a loved one. It takes different forms. We're going to suffer, church. Are you going to rejoice when that suffering comes? Are you going to wallow in it? Are you going to bear fruit of the Spirit? Listen, the fruit of the Spirit is, is not evident in the bad times. Right? The unsaved can be rejoicing in good times. The unsaved can love those who are good to them. So Jesus said, say, if you love those who love you, what, what reward do you have? Even the heathen do that. Now, I shouldn't be mean to people, but me loving Debbie and Debbie loving me, that, that's not necessarily a proof of the fruit of the Spirit. I'm sure she has unsaved friends who care about her, and she cares about them. But when I make her mad, and she still loves me, that's a fruit of the Spirit. When she offends me and I forgive, that's a fruit of the spirit. Rejoicing when everything's good, that's not a fruit of the spirit, church. Rejoicing in death, poverty, when things go wrong, that's a fruit of the spirit. That's not natural to the unbeliever. It should be natural to the one who has the spirit of God. we're commanded to rejoice because our bearing these trials of faith will resound to praise, honor, and glory for Jesus Christ. Turn to Nehemiah 8.10. Let me give you one more reason to rejoice in suffering. And I mentioned it earlier out of my notes, so I apologize for that. I got carried away. Nehemiah 8.10. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord, it strengthens the believer. That's why Paul said, "There's no coincidence in Romans twelve twelve, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation." You know why? Because rejoicing in the hope of what we have in Christ is what brings the patience in the trial of tribulation. That's what brings the peace to us. Rejoicing. Let's go back to our text, Philippians chapter 3. And get into that verse. Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. I found a lot of differing thoughts about this verse, with this phrasing of the verse. The letter has a strange construction to it in Philippians spent a lot of time this week studying it out, asking other people about it. The end of chapter 2 is written very similar to the end of much of Paul's letters, right? Sending greetings here, mentioning this person, that person, giving updates on people, and then mentioning others to be received by the church. Then he opens chapter 3 with the word, finally. So some have guessed that Paul was actually trying to end the letter here. And then new revelation came to him, and so he continued the letter beyond this point. That's a possibility, but it's not something that we have to, uh, to land on. There's another possibility as well, and that is the word finally itself. The word finally means... I have it here somewhere. Furthermore, furthermore. Uh, another way to say that is as to what remains. So Paul isn't necessarily closing his letter. He's like he's covered a certain topic. And then he says, now, furthermore, let me talk to you about this other topic over here. So I don't think he's ending the letter. He does end some letters that way. Second Corinthians 13 11, he ends it that way. Finally, brethren, farewell, be perfect, be of good cheer, be of one mind. Ephesians 6 10 Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. But he uses finally again in Philippians 4, eight. look at that one, Philippians four eight, the last chapter of the book, he says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, if there be any virtue, to be any praise, think on these, so he, I think that finally is the actual finally of the letter, like we're ending the letter at this point, but in chapter 3, verse 1, I think he's changing the subject, that's what he's doing. Chapter 1 and 2, he talked about their suffering. He gave them instructions for how to behave themselves in suffering. In chapter 3, he goes into himself as an example of suffering. That's what we see going on right here. So what he's saying here is, furthermore, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. You can read Paul's commands, his encouragement to the church. And then furthermore, let's address the other issue. How does he begin this new section? The admonition to rejoice in the Lord. Finally, or furthermore, rejoice in the Lord. Then he says, to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. This is a reference to something Paul said earlier in the letter, but we don't see that, do we? This is the first time he mentions rejoicing in the Lord in this letter. I assume it refers to something he had told this church at another time or in another non-inspired letter. He says, "To, to repeat myself to you is not grievous to me. It's not grievous. It's safe for you. If you ever wonder to "Why does the pastor repeat himself so much?" It's, it's not a bother for me to repeat myself, but I want to emphasize. I want you guys to learn. I want us all to understand. What does the Bible say? We're to apply that to our lives. See, I've heard that before, Pastor. I know. I heard a story one time of a pastor who was, who or a guy who was, took over a church. He came in and he, pastored, he He preached the first week, and then he got up and preached the second week and the third week, and all three weeks is the same sermon. And so finally the deacon came to him and said, Pastor, why do you keep preaching the same sermon over and over again? He goes, you guys haven't started obeying it yet. Do what the sermon says and I'll preach another one. Sometimes you have to repeat yourself. That's why the Bible repeats himself a lot. You know why God repeats himself? Because we are hard of hearing. We're hard of learning. We have to get it through our heads, don't we? He repeats himself a lot. Let's talk about rejoicing in the Lord. John Newton... Pastor for about 20 years after his conversion. He had an extensive counseling ministry through letter writing to people all over England. To one particular couple who was dealing with a difficult situation, he wrote this, If the heart be set right, submissive to the will of God, devoted to please Him, and depending upon His faithful word, we may be happy in a prison, or otherwise, we must be unhappy in a palace. In other words, if your heart's set on Christ... You're happy in a prison. If it's not, you'll be unhappy anywhere. Nothing will bring you joy. We see that in the world, don't we? They don't have any joy. They're constantly seeking, seeking, seeking. They seek it through drugs. They seek it through alcohol. Prescription medications. People just can't find peace. Can't find happiness. Or they achieve it and it doesn't fulfill them. And they you know why there's so many celebrities on drugs? Because wealth and fame don't satisfy. That doesn't satisfy them. Rich people commit suicide because they get money. and It doesn't satisfy them. They just want more and more and more. When you have Christ, Paul was happier in a dungeon than most men are in the White House. Think about that. joy and rejoicing doesn't come because of our circumstances church it comes because of who Christ is if you have Christ this morning you have cause for rejoicing I have cause for rejoicing we're having a baby soon that's a cause for rejoicing what if it dies say pastor that's morbid I'm just saying I'm going to use me as an example what if it's stillborn do we stop rejoicing Do we do we do we do we do we cry? Yes, we do. But do we stop rejoicing? No. We don't stop rejoicing. Because we have Christ. If we have Christ, we have supreme cause for rejoicing. I don't care what we have. What if the hurricane really did hit? By the way, I don't think it's gonna hit. It's just raining. But what if it did? What if this whole building just fell down? I'd cry. But we have Christ. We don't need to, we don't lose our cause for rejoicing. We have, we have everything if we have Christ. Do you understand that? We have everything in Christ. All of Christ is ours. If all of us belongs to Christ. That means everything Christ has, we have. We have perfect righteousness because Christ has perfect righteousness. We have a relationship with God the Father because Christ has a relationship with God the Father. And by the way, we own the world because Christ owns the world. That's why all the resources are his. That's why the building fell down. He just rebuilt it again. So that's what what Abraham's faith was in. Though Christ hadn't come, Abraham saw him from afar. When he went to sacrifice Isaac, it was like, it's no big deal. God's promised me a seed through Isaac, so I guess he's just going to raise Isaac from the dead again. The apostles didn't have that faith, did they? When Christ died, they should have looked at him on the cross and said, well, I guess he's going to rise from the dead again. Instead, they ran and hid and didn't believe the story of the resurrection at first. They had less faith than Abraham had. Church, we have so little faith today we have so much in the scriptures that tells us of the providence and love of God. Why don't we rejoice more? We have less information than Abraham had and also less rejoicing. Sorry, we have more information than Abraham had and less rejoicing. I had that backwards. We have more information than George Mueller had. We have more information than Ironside had. We have more information than Corey Timboom has, because we have all their information of how God came through for them, and yet we don't rejoice. Do I need to bring up the fleas again, Corey Timboom? When they had the fleas in the bunkhouse of the of the uh, concentration camp, and Betsy said, "Let's give thanks for the fleas. Let's rejoice in the fleas." And Corey, that great woman of faith, said, No. No, no. I'll give thanks for a lot of things. I'm not giving thanks for the fleas. What do we find out later in the story? They got to preach the gospel to the women there because the guards never came in the bunkhouse because of the fleas. Rejoice evermore. Rejoice in the Lord. In a prison or in a palace, rejoice in the Lord. We have great cause for rejoicing today. It doesn't depend upon our circumstances. I have people tell me, Pastor, I just can't rejoice in this current situation. I don't see how I can rejoice. I don't care if you see it, do it. I don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. Rejoice in the darkness. Rejoice until God brings you to the light. The command is not to understand. The command is to rejoice. We don't have to know what God is doing, church. He's not obligated to tell us. Our job is to believe. It's not to understand. I don't understand the doctrine of the Trinity. I I don't have to. I have to take what the Bible says and believe it. I don't have to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I can sing in the darkness and trust that he knows the way through the tunnel. By the way, a lot of the Old Testament saints, that's what they did. They rejoiced in the darkness because they didn't know how it was going to turn out. They couldn't see the end result of their faith. But yet they held on and they believed anyways. That's what Hebrews 11 is all about. Listen, if you can't find a way to rejoice in bad times, that may be a sign of a serious spiritual problem that you need to examine your heart. It should be natural to us. And again, once again, let me, I'm not saying pretend to be happy. I'm not saying don't cry. I'm not saying don't be burdened. First Peter 1, they were in heaviness and greatly rejoicing at the same time. What I'm saying is we can suffer well rejoicing in Christ. That's what I'm saying. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Trees cannot help but bear fruit. Concerning this command in chapter 4 of Philippians, Matthew Henry says this, It is our duty and privilege to rejoice in God and to rejoice in Him always, at all times, in all conditions. There is enough in God to furnish us with matter of joy in the worst circumstances on earth. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, Rejoice. If good men have not a continual feast, it is their own fault. So Matthew Henry said, if you let circumstances determine your joylessness, that's your fault. That's my fault. There is enough joy in Christ to get us through the worst circumstances. If we simply look to him, the problem is we're looking to our circumstances and not to Christ, or we're looking for our circumstances to improve, to see Christ. Don't do that, church. Praise him in the darkness. Rejoice when you don't know the outcome. Listen, it doesn't move me as a pastor when somebody somebody just, they they, they fret and they fret and they fret and they have no joy in Christ and then the, the problem turns out okay and they call me and they're like, Pastor, Pastor, the Lord came through. And I love the Lord. You love the Lord because he came through for you. What if he didn't come through for you? What if it turned out badly? Are you still excited about it? Are you still praising the Lord? Then praise him before you know the outcome. That's what it means to rejoice in the Lord. Paul's saying to this church in Philippi, rejoice in the Lord. And by the way, church, I still don't know what's going to happen to me. I haven't heard yet, back yet about he's not like church, they're letting me go. I'm being released. Rejoice in the Lord. He says, Church, I don't know how my case is going yet, but rejoice in the Lord. You're being persecuted, Church. Rejoice in the Lord. Some of you will be in prison like me pretty soon. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Billy Sunday said, if you have no joy, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. Plain words, but true. The Christian life should be one of rejoicing in the goodness of Christ This joy does not live in denial of present struggles. In this letter where Paul tells them not once but twice to rejoice, he also says he's in prison waiting to hear whether he will live or die. So I'm not giving you a crutch to get you through hard times. I'm not telling you some new age mumbo jumbo about create your own reality, think positive thoughts. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm saying... When times are bad, rejoice in the Lord. Because he's good. He's not bad. Jesus doeth all things well, as the, as the hymn says. Don't pretend everything's fine, but rejoice in the Lord. But praise him. Thank him. Well, pastor, what if it turns out badly? Thank him when it turns out bad. Thank him for this trial. Thank him for this test. A man lost his eye and wrote a song called Rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistakes. Wow. Wow. We sing through tears. I understand that. We lift our hands and rejoice in the Lord even though we are overwhelmed and frazzled. By the way, when you're overwhelmed and frazzled, when I'm overwhelmed, that's the time we should be stopping and rejoicing in the Lord. You'll find that it goes away (laughs) if you do that. You'll feel better. Not the problems won't go away, but you will bear them easier. Rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord doesn't mean pretend everything's okay. It means to rejoice in Christ regardless of the circumstances. Rejoice comes from a Greek Bible word that means, at root, to take pleasure in. That means in bad times, take pleasure in Christ. Times of great trial, take pleasure in Christ. Take pleasure in His Word. Take pleasure in prayer. Take pleasure in the company of the church. Take pleasure in Christ when things are hard. One way is to spend time in his presence. Sometimes we need to put the phone away, the TV away, the podcast away, the music away. Just sit quietly in the presence of God and just think about his goodness. If you do that and you're saved, I promise you'll be rejoicing before long. You'll find yourself rejoicing in the Lord. The problem is, we don't sit quietly today, do we? We were driving to Outreach the other day. We we're driving down by Redondo Beach there along the, the sidewalk that overlooks the ocean there. Everybody, everybody's on their phones. Or if they're walking or running, they got these things in their ears and they're pumping music in their ears or podcasts. We don't have a quiet moment, do we? We get in our cars and the radio goes on. We're uncomfortable with silence. Church, you'll never rejoice in the Lord amidst the noise. Be still in his presence. Have some time of quiet. Maybe I, I knew one pastor that uh, he, he lived uh, literally just blocks from the church. He drove to work every day at the church. He drove the long way around town. So like instead of going from his house to church, he went out this way around town, back around this way, across the freeway, and back around to the church. And then back that way, you say, why would he do that? Because that half hour was his time to just sit quietly and think about the Lord. Busy day. He had like eight kids at home. That was his time to just, he didn't listen to the radio. He just drove and thought about Christ and prayed and sang. Have times, church where you just sit and rejoice in the Lord. And when times get hard, don't neglect that time. Do it even more in that time. Psalm 1611 says, Thou will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. In the presence of God is fullness of joy. Is your joy not full? Spend time in the presence of God. The Bible's not wrong. In His presence, there's joy. A lack of joy points to a lack of fellowship with God. I think it's impossible to dwell silently and think about the the, the attributes of God and not be filled with joy. I don't believe it's possible. In your hard circumstances, remind yourself of the goodness of God towards His people. Remember that much of the Bible is written in exile, or facing exile, or under persecution. A few minutes left. I'm going to read you a couple passages. They're on your bulletin. You can look them up later so we don't have to turn to each one. Be know them. Lamentations 3.22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. You realize when that was written? Jeremiah was watching the destruction of Jerusalem. The temple of God was being destroyed. The temple furnishings were being carried away to Babylon. The priests and Levites were being carried away to Babylon. Everything was being carried away. The walls knocked down. People being murdered. God's holy city being overrun by the Gentiles. What does Jeremiah say? Oh, woe is me. By the way, he was the weeping prophet. He cried a lot. He has evidence that God doesn't want us to pretend everything's okay. You can, through tears, say, the Lord is my portion. I'm going to hope in him. By the way, he had no grounds for hope at that moment. The temple was being destroyed. The city was being leveled. And as he watches that, through his tears, he says, boy, God's compassions are new every morning. Great, he is so faithful. As he's destroying his own heritage, boy, he's faithful. Boy, he's faithful. And he was, wasn't he? He brought them back, they rebuilt the city, they rebuilt the temple, and boy, he was was good to his people. How about Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 17? Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall the fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail. The field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold. There shall be no herd in the sauls. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk saying, you know what? If everything falls apart, I will rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to rejoice. That last chapter of Habakkuk, you remember from our Wednesday night studies in there, That last chapter kind of is a reassurance to Habakkuk that God is not forsaking his people. He's going to come through for them. He's going to support and defend them. He's going to look kindly upon them. But Habakkuk says, you know what? But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, I'm still going to rejoice in the God of my salvation. What did Job say after all his suffering? Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. How bad does it have to be Christian for you to give up on the Lord? How bad to get you to walk away? Shouldn't be anything so bad. We should say, even if he kills me, I'm I'm still going to trust in him. I'm still going to hope in him. Facing the judgment of God, yet the prophet is able to rejoice in the Lord. Don't allow the circumstances of life, church, to drain your joy in Christ. God ordains all that comes to pass. And God is for us. Therefore, no matter how bad things look, there's light at the end of the tunnel. So rejoice in the darkness. Rejoice until you see it. Rejoice in who God is. Not in your, even if you can't find your circumstance appealing. Say, I'm just in such a bad way, pastor, I just can't even rejoice in this. Then fine, don't. Just rejoice in Christ and who he is. Do that. Start there. I promise you if you do that, you'll see your circumstance very differently. The command is not to rejoice in your bad circumstances, but in the Lord. It's to take our eyes off of our problems and get them on to Christ. Some of us are spending too much time focusing on the bad things in our lives. Let's stop doing that, and let's get our eyes on Christ. Again, the command that Paul gave here is not to the church to rejoice in your circumstances, church. Rejoice in your persecution. Rejoice in your imprisonment. Rejoice in your martyrdom. Rejoice in the Lord. If we get our eyes off our circumstances and on Christ, we're going to Rejoice. And what happens is God's going to change us to see our circumstances from his point of view. It's not about changing your perspective, church. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to put your eyes upon Christ and he will change your perspective. You don't do it. I don't do it. I'm not saying let's fake it. Let's Let's all pretend. Let's all hold hands and pretend everything's good. No. I'm saying look to Christ. Look to Christ. And even the worst circumstance of your life, you're going to be like Jeremiah and be like, this is terrible. But boy, the Lord is good. <laughs> boy, his mercies are new. There'll be a new day. and Today's a bad day, but you know, the Lord's good. My soul rejoices in him. Or you'd be like Habakkuk and go, you know what, even if everything, fa- the food fails, the, the, the trees fail, just, if everything falls apart, I'm still going to rejoice in the God of my salvation. Or like Job. I don't care how hard it it gets. If he slays me, if he kills me, I'm still going to rejoice in him until that moment that he kills me. I'm going to rejoice in him. I'm not saying our circumstances aren't bad. They are real and they are bad. Now, stop focusing on them and look to Christ. A joyless Christian life is a life that has lost focus. It's a life that looks at the world and our circumstances and not upon Christ. Rejoice in the Lord, church. By putting your eyes upon him. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Not because he takes away all the bad stuff. This isn't word of faith stuff. That means that in the bad stuff, he is greater than the stuff. Look to him. Remember when Peter got off the boat and he sank? We always tell the story, don't we? When did he sink? I took his eyes off Christ. Did he sink when he's watching Christ? No. He's walking on stormy weather on top of the water with his eyes on Christ. We're sinking today, church, in bitterness. Anger, anxiety, depression, and we're doing it because we're looking at the wrong thing. Stop looking at what's going on and look to Christ. Don't rejoice in your circumstance. Rejoice in Christ, in the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time together this morning. Help me, Lord, to realize that I need to rejoice in you. I don't do it. Nearly as often as I ought to, I know that. Too often I get my eyes on the bad circumstances. Help me to see you more clearly. Help us to look to you, Lord. Help us not to, we don't want to pretend that everything's okay. We don't want to pretend that we're not looking for a crutch to lean on. We're not looking for a create your own destiny by speaking positive things into the universe. That's not what we're saying. We're saying there is real cause for rejoicing in the Son of God. Help us to set our focus upon you and rejoice in who you are. I think if we do that, you will change us. You'll change our view of our circumstances. You'll make us more like Jesus. Help us to look to you, not to our problems, to you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all that you are. All glory, all honor, all majesty are yours. You are beauty personified. You are are beautiful. Help us to look upon you with our eyes of faith until one day we see you face to face, eyeball to eyeball, and rejoice in you forevermore. Bless the offering to come now in Jesus' name. Amen.